0: Oh, what a precious time to worship the Lord together, and thank you for being here, for coming home to Ebenezer. Uh, We've been engaged in a a wonderful uh, little journey here of late. I've been burdened in my heart about uh, so many new believers we have in our church family and those who are just embarking on a time of their, their spiritual journey and their growth together. And so I've felt there's some things we need to be reminded of you know, being reminded is very, very important. Uh, That's one of the things we do in our small group Bible studies. We do it in worship. We do it in our singing. It was to remind one another of the great truths that sustain us in times that are very difficult. So we've embarked on this uh, study of some things that every believer needs to know. And One of those that have been very uh, crucial to us is that that we know that we're saved, we know that we're believers in Christ, God's love never changes for us, that we can depend on the Bible as God's holy word for us, and the role of the church is vital and imperative in our lives. So this morning I want to take this another step further and and share with you something that Came to me at my former church while I was there, and I'd been teaching on the cross and the resurrection of Christ. And someone uh, came to me and they asked, they said, "This pastor, what do the cross and the resurrection have to do with me today? I understand the historical uh, significance." of Jesus dying on the cross and Him rising from the dead. But what, what's, what's the practical application of that in my life today? And that was a good question. I appreciated so much Him asking that. And I hope before you leave today that you can know specifically where very, very practical it is. You see, the cross gives us victory over sin. But the resurrection gives us victory in life. And the two have to be seen together together. So this morning, we're going, to, we're going to walk through about four or five scriptures. So get your Bible on your lap or your device ready. And we're going to start with Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30. The rest are going to be in the writings of Paul. <clears throat> but I'd like to anchor some of these great truths in both the Old Testament and the New Testament as well. So Deuteronomy chapter 30. I'd like for you to read with me beginning with verse 19. Deuteronomy thirty nineteen. And this is at a time of covenant making. And God says, I call heaven and earth to witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life, that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him. Now look at these next words. For he is your life. Do you see that? For he is your life. Let me ask you to underscore that. Underline it. Highlight it. What you you like to do in your Bible? And the length of your days that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you. He said, I want you to do these things. I want you to obey him. I want you to do this because he is your life. He is your life. Now, Turn with me into, to the book of Romans. Go way back now into the depths of the Old Testament. The book of Romans, chapter 5. Hold on to that thought. He is your life. And in Romans, chapter 5, find for me verse 10. Romans, chapter 5, and verse 10. Now see if you hear something similar. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Saved by his life. Now now hold on to that because most of the time you'll be thinking in terms, well, we're saved by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul says something very differently here. He says we're saved by his life. These these two statements, let them be ringing in your ears, but but we're not done. Uh, Go Go to the right just a little bit, to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, another one of the letters that Paul wrote to one of the churches. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 4. Colossians 3, 4. And listen, when Christ, who is your life, appears. Hearing something ring over and over again? Christ, who is your life, appears. When he appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. I want to underline that. Christ who is your life. And then now go to Galatians, just a few pages away, chapter 2. And a very familiar verse. We've used this an awful lot at Ebenezer over the years. It's actually the uh, name of our senior adult group that gathers or or that that did under Brother Ray. He formed them years and years ago. But Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. Now look at this. But Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you see something over and over again? You ask someone, you know, uh, how, how it is that they're saved, they will automatically go to, to the cross. They'll say, well, Jesus died on the cross to take my sins upon himself. And, and, and that's absolutely true. Please do not hear me minimizing that. That is absolutely true. But that's not all of the gospel. That's not all of the gospel. When you, when you ask somebody, what is the significance of the cross? Because you know, they say, well, that's, that's where Jesus died for my sins. Absolutely true. Ask somebody what is the significance of the resurrection, and you may just only hear crickets. And I'm not saying that in a negative way. It's because, for the most part, this wonderful mystery has not been clearly revealed to the church of Jesus Christ, at least in our generation. I want you to see that the cross and the resurrection together form the entirety of the gospel. And this is what gives us power to live on. This is what gives us purpose. Now, in your notes, I want you to fill in some blanks here. And if I could put the sermon in a sentence, this is what it would be. So you fill in the blanks as we go. Jesus came to give his life to you. Now, that's the cross for you, gave his life for you. That's the cross. That he could give his life to you. That's the resurrection. That he might live his life through you. And that's the victory of these two working together. Now, I want to unfold that for you today. That basically is this message. But I want you to see how this applies. And how it works in your daily life. This is imperative. You've got to see the two together. When Jesus died on the cross, it was to give his life for us, to give his life for our sins. He took our place on the cross. He took our death, but not just to take our death, that we might have his life. The resurrection, Jesus rose from the dead. He took our death, but then he rose from the dead to give us his life, the very life of Christ, The Scripture tells us He is our life. We are saved by His life. It is His life within us. And it is so His supernatural life flowing through us that gives us victory and gives us purpose and direction. Now, it's really strange. Many people understand the whole process of salvation is like this. I come to faith in Christ, I kneel at the altar, or I pray for the preacher, whatever, and I confess my sins, and I confess that Jesus died on the cross to save me of my sins. And then all of my sins are forgiven me. And then I get up off my knees, and I make this determination, I make this promise to God. Now, I am going to imitate you for the rest of my life. Now, now here's the problem. Have you ever tried to imitate somebody who is perfect? Jesus is perfect in every way. And so as we try to imitate him, what happens over and over again? We fail. We stumble. I I mean, we do. Listen, if all you got was that as your salvation, you didn't get the whole gospel, folks. It's not a matter of just Jesus giving his life for you and then you're on your own to somehow muster up the spiritual energy and courage and ability to live a perfect life. You're not going to be able to do that. I've never been able to do that. It's absolutely impossible. And the problem is, that's not the whole gospel. Jesus came to give his life for you, yes, in order that he may give his life to you and then live his life through you. That's the gospel. All three of those wrapped up together. Too many times people quit at the cross. They stop at the cross. And the cross is wonderful and it's glorious and I love singing about it and such. But don't stop with a dead Savior. Go on to the resurrection That he ever lives. And not only does he just live somewhere, you know, out here. But he's living here. Supernaturally, abundantly, powerfully, impacting every moment of our day. He is alive here. He didn't come just to give his life for you. He came to give his life to you. That he could live his life through you. Listen, if you will, to 1 John 5, 11. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who has the Son has life. Listen to me. Eternal life is not something that Jesus gives you. Let me say that again. It's going to sound like blasphemy, but I'm going to say it again. (laughs) Eternal life is not something that Jesus gives you. What he gives you is himself. He gives you himself. His life. He is the gift. He is the life. He is the salvation. This is crucial that we understand. Say, okay, Brother Fred, you're throwing all this good stuff at me. I know it's good, real good theology. It's doctrine. I ought to know this, and now I'm trying to grasp it. What does that mean practically? How does that flesh itself out in my life? Listen to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. Paul says, as for you, and that's me, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Okay, that describes all of us. You and I spiritually were dead in our trespasses and sins. Paul teaches us in Romans that as in, as in Adam all die, so in Christ all are made alive. What he means by this is if you're a human being, and as I look out here, most of you appear to be. If you're a human being, then you and I living under the sentence of death. And what happens is that our spirits die. Our spirits die. Uh, God told Adam and Eve, you know, when you eat of this fruit, you'll surely die. Their body didn't die, their soul didn't die, but their spirits die. And so you and I have dead spirits in our natural lost state. And this is exactly what was troubling Nicodemus. He came to Jesus at night, Remember? And he had all kinds of questions, but what was it Jesus told him? He cut right to the chase. He said, no, hey, Nick, you must be born again. What must be born again? He got it wrong. He thought it was his body. He said, I can't crawl back in my mother's womb again. No, 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 it's not that. But your spirit must be born again. Let me ask you something. What does a dead person need? They need life. A living person already has life, doesn't need life. But our spirits were dead in our sin and trespasses. That's what Paul's teaching us in Ephesians 2 1. For you were dead in your trespasses and sin. But then he goes on to say, But God, in the cross and, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he gives us his life. We needed not resuscitating, <laughs> we needed resurrecting. And so the resurrected Jesus Christ becomes that gift of life to you and I as well. We're, yes, we're in need of forgiveness, but more importantly, we're dead and we're in need of life. And so what happens is Christ transfuses us with his life. You familiar with the transfusion? I mean, I I spent years as a paramedic, and there's times when, uh, you know, as, as soon as we get there, a person's lost a lot of blood. We hook them up with all kinds of stuff running in their veins to take the place of the blood volume until we can get them to the hospital, they can go into surgery, and then they can have blood. They need transfusion. They need blood. In our dead spirits, we needed a transfusion, and that transfusion is the life of Jesus Christ. Let me go again to Galatians 2.20 just a moment. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He's setting something up. I, Fred Lodge, have been crucified with Jesus Christ. That's the cross. I, Fred Lodge, no longer live but Christ lives in me. That's the resurrection. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's him living through me. Do you see that all there in that verse? All right there. Here is the secret. I mean, let me give you this. You're going to have to write it. It's in your notes, but I want you to be sure you get it and write it down. You should never be satisfied With a changed life when God wants you to have an exchanged life. I'm going to say that again so you can fill in the blanks and then I want to explain what I mean by that. God never wants you to be satisfied with a changed life when what He has for you is an exchanged life. You see, you, you and I, we come to faith in Christ, and, and we, we, want, we want to be different. We're tired of our old way of life. We're, we're tired of, of living as slaves to, to, uh, to the God of this world and such. We're, we're tired of that. So we want to do everything in our power to change. The problem is if we could change ourselves, we wouldn't have needed Christ, would we? If we could change ourselves, we wouldn't need the cross. We wouldn't need the resurrection. And yet that's what we try to do. We come to faith in Christ, and then we try to change our lives. And and we're never good at it. And so here's the thing. Don't be satisfied with a changed life when what God wants is for you to have an exchanged life. He said, I want to give my life for yours. I I want you to swap this out with me. I want to live in you and through you. That's what the gospel tells us. That is the the joy. Jesus totally identified himself with our death so that we can totally identify with his resurrection. Totally and completely. So so in practical terms, I live, yield my life so Jesus can do his work in me and then through me. Now, if some of you are a little lost in this, let me give you another illustration or way to look at it. Take the most horrendous sinner you can think of, or category of sinner, maybe a a mass murderer, a mafia hitman, a rapist, whatever the case may be. What is our message as a Christian to that person? Come to Jesus Christ, confess your sins, repent of your sins, and he will save you. And that's absolutely true. Yes, he'll save you. But now, what is the message of the gospel to somebody who's already been saved? Let me tell you what most of it receive. Well, Jesus has straightened you out. He saved you of your sins. Now, you need to keep yourself clean. You need to keep on the right track, or you're going to be a dirty, rotten, filthy backslider, and God's probably not going to have a place for you in heaven. If the grace of God can save that horrendous sinner... Don't you think the same grace of God can keep that sinner? That is what our doctrine of eternal security is all about. The gospel isn't here. Let me save you, and then I, I get you all cleaned up, and now you, you stay out of the mud for this whole, all this time. I mean, how many of you? You've, it's Easter Sunday morning you've got your children or grandchildren up, you've got them all clean and sparkly they're the nice as best as brand new clothes you bought for them, and then you go in the bedroom to get dressed yourself, and you come back out, and they are filthy. Now, you got them all cleaned up, and you set them on the right path, but they wandered off of that path right into the first mud puddle they could come by. Yeah, that's natural for children it's natural for God's children too. We're going to mess up, folks. And if God's grace can't keep us saved, then how sure are we that He can save us at all? That's not the whole gospel. The gospel is Jesus gave His life for us so He could give His life to us so He could live His life through us. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ. So what am I to do? I am to lay down my life and yield myself to Him, that He can not only just be in me, but He can be Lord in me. He can live His supernatural life, not only in me, but through me. And here's where the victory comes in. Here's where the exchange comes in. Here's where the power of transformation happens, I want you to receive the whole gospel. As we come to the Lord's table in a few moments, we're going to be celebrating the entirety of the gospel, not just that he died to save us, but that he rose again so that we can have his life flowing in us and through us from now on. Now, I want you to say something with me in a prayer. I'm going to give you the words, and you say them back to me, okay? We're going to try it out first, and then we're going to actually say it as a prayer. Say this with me. Thank you, Jesus. One more time, I didn't hear everybody. This is not a rhetorical statement the pastor says. I really want you to do this, okay? All right. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave your life for me, that you could give your life to me, that you could live your life through me. Now let's pray. Father, as we come to you right now as the church of Jesus Christ, celebrating your life and death and resurrection, as we come around the table, Lord, we come remembering. We come thanking you And so together here, we're going to pray it again out loud. Lord, receive our prayer. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave your life for me so you could give your life to me so you could live your life through me. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Deacons, will you come and join me? Come down and be seated, if you will, please, as they're coming. Last week, you chose to uh, ratify our new constitution and bylaws, and then that is our church covenant. So I'm going to want you to hear some of this church covenant as we work through the parts of our Lord's Supper here today. God established a covenant relationship, first with his people, Israel, and then with the new covenant, with his people, the church. Having been led as we believe by the Spirit of God to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, and on the profession of our faith, having been baptized by immersion in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and accepting the Bible as our authoritative standard regarding belief and behavior, we do now in the presence of God and this assembly most solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant with one another as one body in Christ." We believe we exist to glorify God by attracting and winning people to faith in Jesus Christ, by nurturing them in our Christian family, by bringing them to Christ-like maturity, and by involving them in meaningful ministry. Therefore, as the members of God's covenant family known as Ebenezer Baptist Church of Toccoa, Georgia, we commit ourselves to God and to one another to be Christ-like in our lives and relationships through the presence and guidance and power of God of His Holy Spirit. We'll pick up in just a moment. When we come to the table of our Lord, we are remembering and we are celebrating. We're remembering what He's done, and we're celebrating that He's still alive. And both are imperative parts of celebrating the Lord's Supper. Father God, we not only want to remember what you did in Christ, as precious as that is, we want to celebrate that it's not over. That though it is a historical fact, it's not only ancient history. It impacts my life right now. Because you gave your life for me. To give your life to me. To live your life through me. That is what we celebrate today. Press this home as we hold the bread in our hands. In Christ's name, amen. Say it with me again. Thank you, Jesus. You gave your life for me. So you could give your life to me. So you could live your life through me. We celebrate the reality of not only who you were, but who you are. Alive in all of those who would follow you. In your name we pray. Amen. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. As you hold the cup in your hand, here's how we covenant to live with one another. We will love one another as Christ has loved us, honor one another above ourselves, be kind and compassionate to one another, encourage and build up one another, comfort one another, and offer hospitality to one another. We will have a spirit of unity based on our common bond in Christ, be united in mind and convictions, meet together regularly, have equal concern for each other, suffer when one suffers and rejoice when another is honored, and let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. We will use our God-given knowledge to instruct one another, use our spiritual gifts to bless one another, use the word of Christ to teach and admonish one another, and nurture one another towards a spiritual maturity measured by the life and ministry of Jesus. We will not talk negatively about one another, nor pass judgment on one another, nor put a stumbling block in one another's way. We'll be morally pure in our thoughts, actions, and language. We'll be generous in our giving, and we'll be filled with the Spirit. We will confess our sins to one another, pray for each other, and warn those who are disruptive, encourage the discouraged, help the weak, Be patient with one another, forgive one another as the Lord has forgiven us, and gently restore those who sin. We will be the light of our godly lives and have it shine together to bring glory to God. This is our covenant with one another as the body of Christ. Why? Because not only is it his word, it's his life. Holy Spirit, we remember you. And we thank you, Jesus, that you came to give your life for us, to give our life to us, to live your life through us. And we celebrate that reality in Christ's name. Amen.